Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiner Radio's Executive Conversations. Today, we're going to be talking with Laura Bilizarian, who is the founder and CEO of Teamable. Laura, how are you? I'm great. How are you, John? I'm great. So, so please take a moment to introduce yourself, and don't don't neglect to spend time talking about rugby. <laughs> I was hoping you'd bring that up. Yeah, sure. So, I'm Laura Bilizarian, CEO and founder of. I live out here in the Bay Area as a recruiting software. Uh, before that, I worked in the wonderful world of Wall Street uh, in New York. My first, actually, diversity recruiting experience, although we didn't call it diversity recruiting back then, was recruiting women to Wall Street. And I have this great story about how when, in, in Wall Street, when you give people an offer, everyone's hyper-competitive. So the whole firm gets involved in what we call a sell day, which is taking the candidates out and drinking with them and, you know, selling them on your firm. And I remember this one girl, at the time, I didn't even realize I was recruiting women. To me, it was just recruiting. But I was like, are you going to join our firm? And she goes, and at this time, I had like a thick jersey accent. You'll see, I'm very blunt. I'm not like your typical Wall Street person. And she goes, you know, this firm has someone like you working there. I think I'll join that's what I realized, like, oh, maybe I'm a little, a little different. And uh, maybe that matters in the recruiting process. Um, and before that, and actually sometimes simultaneously with 100-hour weeks on Wall Street, I played rugby uh, for the city of New York, won a few national championships, and uh, a little bit for the U.S. national team, unfortunately, uh, maybe four years before it got into the Olympics as a sport. So I didn't get to have that experience. But I learned a lot from, uh, you know, that team sport. So my experience of you is, is that you are simultaneously competitive and patient. And, <laughs> and, and, and I, meet, I meet lots of very competitive people. I, I don't <laughs> often run across people who have uh, a patient view. How do you suppose you got there? How do you suppose you, you came to be who you are? Yeah, so I think part of it is is rugby and thinking through strategy. So one of the things that I, and, and there's, there's this concept that I have that I share with a lot of women. It works well for women, but a lot of guys on our team have picked it up too, and it's called play a fool to catch a fool. <laughs> and so what I like to do is really listen, you know, take in the whole environment, you know, come with a beginner as well, um, but also know that, like, in the end, we're going to come up with a, a long-term solution. So it's a bit of like long-term thinking. And then I'll give you the example in rugby. In rugby, I had this uh, skill where I could make an interception almost at will, and it's a weird skill. Um, but I never used it. Uh, and I was always like, why didn't I use it? And one of the reasons was the competitors would all watch game tape. Um, and so I didn't, and, and there was another girl that could make these interceptions too, and we would plan for her. So I never used it until the final, um, and we we won based on this interception I made, you know, in the last minute. But I realized then, like, you can't, like, use all your guns every day. You have to use them in specific situations. And the competition is intelligent. They're watching you. So you have to really, like, use your, your bullets wisely. Does that make sense? Sure, sure. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not clear that that is a common mm, way of looking at things in the women executives that I've been talking to. 
I, I, I spend I a fair amount of time. Um, um, more transactionally, right? The the, the mm-hmm. idea that the idea that that you're given a set of resources and that you that you burn your powder when it's optimal and when you don't have any other choice is is not really standard Silicon Valley thinking. That's good. I mean, it's a you know it's a long term interaction. The, the partnerships and the, you know, the Silicon Valley is like a rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing. And so you create wins for everyone around you, uh, especially when you're creating categories. Then it should come back to you. <laughs> so, so tell me about Teamable. What does Teamable do? The Teamable takes the guesswork out of recruiting, uh, referral programs, and passive recruiting. And how does it do this? Well, it leverages the entire network of a company's employees, and then we use common machine learning data techniques to suggest uh, people from people's network to the employees, and then the employees reach out to them about the job that this is one of our customers. Hey, you know, we used to work at Google together 10 years ago. I joined this company called Lyft. I know it seems like Uber is going to kill them because we've been working with Lyft since it seemed like that. Now Lyft has really has gained 30% market share. We started working with them, but this is the best place I've ever worked, and our focus on culture in the long run will help us help us win. And that sort of message, someone from an employee who's doing the job, is extremely powerful. And so we can take referral programs from sort of this 25% plus or minus 5% source of hire um, to almost 70%, but it's a combination of active and passive recruiting um, from the, you know, micro actions from the entire company instead of one or two poor sourcers trying to, you know, connect with the whole world. <laughs> so so that's a that's an interesting puzzle to try to solve because I, I get the I get the value of a personal recommendation. Mm-hmm. I get the potential of an organization full of people who are giving personal recommendations. Um, mm-hmm. The distance between um, a single case and everybody doing it is where uh, the issue always lies. So, so, so tell me about about what you do to make it interesting for more than a few people to give personal recommendations, so you could get up to seventy percent of hires from referrals. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, one of the things that's in our benefit is it's one of those win-win-win situations where you know. There, most companies offer some sort of financial benefit, although I would say 30% of our customers don't uh, for employees in control. A lot of people, um, are they, they want to be engaged in their company and helping grow it. Um, the other way of saying that is like they're going to hire somebody. <laughs> so you might as well make it someone that you know will do a good job. Um, and so how we do this is we, we make it just like a click to reach out to someone after someone signs up into their teamable. And we also do some stuff that um, I initially was skeptical of, but it is actually um, amazing, which is we have like leaderboards and we give credit for doing micro actions. So one of the things that can be frustrating about making a referral is like, it's hard for someone to get hired, right? Like there's a lot of steps for someone to get hired and maybe they might, be the right person, but comp didn't work out or stuff like that. And it can be actually discouraging. Um, 
So we reward, you know, actions like making a referral, like reaching out to people in your network, and we show that visibly. And it's, it's amazing to me um, how much people get engaged um, in the leaderboard of people. So, so, so you're learning that just a little bit of attention can improve results in a significant way. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's right. And it's actually there's an interesting um, motivational dichotomy between like director level people and above. Often they're more motivated by competition with other executives, um, and then what we rank and file employees are more motivated by like that recognition from their bosses that they're contributing to the company. Um, so it's an interesting psychological thing that we've seen. That's that's fascinating. So so I've I've worked in a, a number of companies where um, the executives didn't really spend a lot of time competing heavily with each other, um, and 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 I've always kind of looked askance at at the <laughs> idea that what you want to do is set up a visible competition between uh, people in a political environment. So so I wonder if Right, I mean, there's there's several possibilities there. One is uh, I don't have any contemporary experience in companies working, and managers totally changed. Um, and the other is that there's a market segment where this is true, and it's not true. Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting. I, I think you know, it's, I would call it the category of friendly competition, right? Like it's a point system. Sometimes, like. A Robin Hood, for example, like they'll have different re- awards for different things on different teams. So I would say it's more like a, a team-based competition. But a lot of, uh, especially engineering leaders, are are judged by how they can recruit. Right? That's like one of their core. Um, if they have five duties, you know, core duties, recruiting is one of them. And so, uh, you know, ha- showing them that. Um, you know, Team X, the, the Android team has reached out to 50 engineers and making it, you know, three minutes of work for them to do the same because we've already matched all their network to the job. The email's actually teed up by the recruiting team, so they literally just have to press a button if they agree with the match. I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the right kind of competition. We see, like, engagement scores, you know, it's going up. Um, in the quarters where we initially launched Teamable, too. So I haven't seen, you know, negative competition um, yet. Uh, we do work with finance and and um, uh, biotech companies as well. We have had some companies say, look, it's not our culture. Let's just, you know, set the leaderboard to, uh, let's get rid of the point system Spotify as one of these, these companies. Um, but uh, most people tend to like it. That's 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 pretty interesting. Um, it seems to me that that what you're talking about is environments where the hiring manager has recruiting as a responsibility. So the recruiting departments will be um, uh, more subservient. I'm not I'm not exactly sure how to describe the variable when the hiring manager is accountable for for recruiting. Um, but but it's a different thing when the recruiters have sort of the upper hand in the hiring process. 
Does that oh, does that make a difference? I think it's a collaboration. I think it's collaboration between recruiters. I think if you look at across, you know, if your company is ranging from Prudential to Lyft, like there's divisions that that having people come to you is just not going to cut it, and they're usually the most strategic projects that are happening in a company that are often the highest visibility um, and, you know, most game-changing. And that, in that case, recruiting, hiring managers, and the entire company is aligned to recruit well. And they understand that it's a passive recruiting game. That's interesting. So, so let me do something real quick here, and we'll get right back. Hang on. You're listening to HR Examiner Radio. Did you know 86% of career seekers would commit five years to an employer offering a student loan repayment benefit program? Even more amazing, only 4% of employers offer one. Benefit Ed makes it easy to introduce this in-demand benefit any time of year. Simple administration for you, simple sign-up for employees. You can help them pay down student loans or save for college. Compete for the best and build your dream team. Learn more at youbenefited.com slash HRX. That's Y-O-U benefit ed.com slash HRX. Isn't that great? Thank you, youbenefited.com. We like our sponsors and advertisers. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for believing in us. Okay. So back to... Do the recruiters have to be on board when you install this so that hiring managers power the thing? Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, we we believe like recruiting is is best done when it's a collaboration between recruiting and the the business partners. And so um, recruiting is very involved. They're actively writing the templates that uh, the uh, team will use to reach out to their their network. One of the things that we found was, you know, if you've never written a recruiting email, it's kind of daunting. You know, a lot of people don't even writing to their friend. They want to know what to say. So recruiting sets the template. Um, and actually, when people reach out to their network, they often introduce the recruiter, um, who then takes over uh, with the rest of the process. So it's very much a collaboration with uh, recruiting the hiring managers and the entire team. So what's the difference between Teamable and its competitors? There's not a shortage of companies peddling referral programs. How are you guys different? Yeah, so there's companies that, you know, make automate the process of, hey, I actually went on the job board and looked for jobs. Hey, my friend, often usually they come to you. People aren't actively going out to their friends. but came to me and said they want a job at Spotify. And I go look on the job board and I'm going to, put in their resume and we're going to make sure that that doesn't get lost and all those pay out the bonus and all that stuff. But that still requires like a, you know, proactive action on the part of the employee. And oftentimes, you know, those referrals aren't necessarily for the positions that are hard to fill um, or qualified. I think Facebook only hires 3% of its referrals, for example, uh, because everyone's like, Hey, can you get me a job at, at Facebook? And it's not necessarily like where they have the need for candidates. So what we do, so there's a lot of companies that do that, and that'll keep you at 25% source of hire, but it will make your life 
um, as a recruiting ops person a lot easier. Uh, what we do is we tap into employees' social networks. So instead of saying, hey, who do you know? We look at who they know by who they've connected to either in their email address book on LinkedIn or Facebook. And we take in data about them. So for example, like if you were to search your Facebook friend for iOS and there, you would have a hard time doing that, right? Facebook not built for that. So we connect the dots there and then serve it back uh, to the employee um, based on the jobs that recruiting prioritizing and then they, they reach out. Um, so it's the only, you know, if you think about passive recruiting, it's the only system, referral or not, where employees are the first level of engagement and filter. Um, and so, you know, if you think about how recruiting has evolved, it's not really that hard to find people anymore it's really hard to engage them um and so we see you know really good engagement rates and you know a 10 a 50 to percent improvement in almost every place in the funnel including offer acceptance rates and retention um for these types of candidates so so how do you think about privacy i mean it sounds to me uh, on a level like you you connect the dots inside of people's um um, network um, mm-hmm. and 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 help people see the relationship between information over here and over there. And I assume that in the process you start to create some um, personal information about about people who haven't opted into your process. So, so, so how do you think about that? And 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 yeah, is it an issue for you? That's a good question. Um, it's something we think about and talk about a lot. So the first level is for your employees, they opt in to let us use, you know, the company and use their network. So they pick which network, you know, which address book they want to engage. So it's entirely opt-in um, on the part of the employees. It's, you know, a lot of people in the beginning were like, no one's going to do it. But we see like 80% opt-in rate. Um, it decreases a little bit as the companies get bigger in the thousands maybe down to 60, 70%, but that's still way better than, you know, who's giving the active referrals. It can be 10% of your population. And then, um, you know, we're, we don't believe in spam. So it's like actually the employee that is connected to that human that reaches out to them. So that gets around a lot of um, uncomfortable privacy things as well. And, uh, and we don't actually show when we make a match don't actually show a lot of data on someone. We use a lot of data that's probably, you know, that you could find in a Google search on someone. Um, but we don't show a lot of data. Uh, so, um, because, you know, the person knows them. And it's actually really good for finding, like, engineers that haven't written a skill on the Internet ever or something, you know, like that. Um, but the person knows they're a good engineer. Uh, so we try to be really respectful of privacy. We also think like we're, you know, everyone thinks this, but we're not trying to sell these people jeans, trying to find them their dream job. <laughs> um, and I think that's a little, a little different. Um, but you know, I'm sure there's someone that disagrees with me. <laughs> yeah, it's an it's an you, it's an interesting intersection because the the case that you're making is that if individual members of the company do things that involve um privacy that it's that it that it doesn't roll up to an aggregate issue 
Um, and I, I, I'm not sure I have a good way of thinking about that yet, but it's, but it's sort of emblematic of what's happening to organizations in general is that, is that there's, they're kind of regulated as if they were people or single entities, but in practice, there are a collection of individuals and those individuals can do things that the company as a whole can. Yeah, I think that's a good way. I think that's a good way of saying it. And then the simplest is, you know, if I opt in to connect with you on LinkedIn, I've opted in for you to message me about that, right? Or, you know, for you to be able to contact. Um, and so the employees are, are contacting their people, they're the people that they have opted in to connect with them about that. So there's a really interesting part of your story that you sort of, um, um, have, haven't touched on yet, and that is uh, Teamable is not really venture financed, and you've been building the company for five years to get to the place where you are in a more conventional way of building companies. Want we'll, to we'll talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I wish that was entirely true. So we bootstrapped going to market, uh, and when we had our product, we actually had, you know, very little money left in the bank, a couple hundred thousand. Um, and, you know, we grew revenue that way. I do, I do want to clarify, we did take venture capital last year, um, less than, less than you know, a lot of other people are taking. We're taking around $10 million in total. Um, but we, we have the discipline of, you know, trying to be cash flow positive out of the gate, um, trying to like, find a price point. It's such a win for our customers um, and, and keep our costs low so that we don't have to, um, you know, charge exorbitant exorbitant rates or do any of those software things that that nobody, I especially, don't like. <laughs> um, but, no, we did take traditional venture capital, and I, it was very, you know, there's four founders. We sat in a room. It was a very hard decision for us um, to say yes to that. It, we didn't, like, go try to get venture it sort of came to us um and uh i think it was a good decision but you know time will tell <laughs> but so um the first four years right isn't isn't that right the first four years yeah. you didn't and 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 then when you had when you had proof that the idea was a good idea you 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 took investment that's right and i don't know that's if that a, was like you know a reje- I don't like rejection. I don't like no. So I don't know if that was like, you know, I'm thinking about it and the time it takes to go. Everyone's like, you have to talk to 100 people to get one. And I was like, why don't I just talk to 100 customers and get 30? <laughs> and then <laughs> they'll come to us. <laughs> well, it's, 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 an, it's an admirable strategy and something that you don't see every day because it means that the that the product has evolved through direct customer interaction prior okay. to prior to um, the sorts of direction that happen when you have a, a deep investor bet on your board. Um, That's right. Yeah, we built this product sitting next year. You know, Lyft and a handful of other companies. Um, I had recruited it on Wall Street, so I, I used sort of my own knowledge there. Um, but 
doing that made us not have something like theoretical, but something that works the way orgs work um, with recruit between recruiting and the employees. And it was it was hard because it was like you know you use the example of like building an airplane while you're falling out of building, but it's like building an airplane while you're falling out of building with high profile customers that are paying you money. Um, so we had to build fast when we were sitting on site with them, but a lot of them have come back and said, like, you know, one of the reasons we love your product is because you built it with real recruiters and real humans and not, you know, some advisor that told you how recruiting works or not some theoretical uh, ideal version that will never work in a real organization. So I think that discipline was good. If I had to start a company again, you know, once you're venture backed by a top one, you can usually raise venture again, but I would still force myself to go through that. That that's, that's 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 a pretty interesting thing. So so you're you're at this um, sort of five years to become an overnight sensation moment, <laughs> um, uh, and 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 I wonder what what the problems are that are in front of you. What what do you see? What do you see as the hurdles that you have to, to solve? Yeah, I mean, scaling is scaling is hard, um, especially in a category that, you know, isn't fully created yet. Um, the good news is we have great case studies. You know, we've now been around. You know, it's hard to become an overnight success in a recruiting product because it's like, does it work? Do you get hires? <laughs> How many hires do you get, right? And so that takes, you know, a year to build a product enough that a company can use it, a, you know, a year to get the right companies to give you a chance and then a year or two of proving the case studies. Right? So that that's in the rear view, but then scaling that is is really hard. Like I know, you know, we're partners with some of the APSs and their go-to-market was like they literally just put on the board the website of another APS that they thought was the best one at the time is features. And then when they checked out all those features off, they went to market, right? <laughs> it's like you don't have to be super creative about your marketing there or who you're targeting uh, because it's a category that people know and you just built a better mousetrap. But for us, like, it's a, you know, it's a foreign concept. It's only been enabled by the fact that there's social networks in the last 15 years and social data on people. So scaling that, um, becoming, you know, a budget line item and, and having people understand the value that we bring, which is, you know, 25% of your most critical, an additional 25 to 30% of your most critical experience hires is, yeah, it's hard. Scaling's hard. Scaling's hard. So, yeah. what do you want, somebody's listening to this program, um, what do you want them to take away from our conversation? I mean, what I always want people to take away, especially executives uh, and women executives, is like, any from hearing it is like anything you can do anything you want if you you know don't give up <laughs> for three years so becoming a national champion in rugby was we you know we lost first year we didn't make it second year we lost third year we won fourth year we won again but it's really like sticking through that like second year of sometimes people call it the trough of sorrow and not feeling on your team um is how you get the greatness and the same thing happened with teamable and we actually had a mantra where like we don't know exactly what we're going to do at start where we're going to stick with it for three years um and you know when we moved out to silicon valley 
I genuinely had not heard, like ever heard the word front end or back end. I mean, luckily when I heard it, I could figure out what it meant by its words like quickly. Um, but I really didn't know anything about building software or any of that um, or raising venture capital. And, you know, I'm a woman that raised uh, from the fund that won National Venture Fund of the Year with, you know, my male co-founders weren't, weren't in the room because we had divide and conquer thing and all of that is possible um, if you just put one foot in front of the other. But it's interesting because the common knowledge, the common refrain is higher, you know, raise 18 months of runway. And at 18 months, you're just starting to know what you're doing in any business. And so it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, so many people give up at year two when it's really year three, four, five. I'm sure you saw the same thing in your business as well. Oh, uh, when oh, stuff oh, starts oh to yeah, happen, you, you know? You're absolutely right. It takes it takes routine repetition and forward progress that you can't get. <clears throat> uh, you you know the 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 learning curve for participating in this industry is probably eight to ten months, right? And so mm-hmm. so so just figuring out how purchasing and distribution works takes the first year. And okay. many of the th- many of the things that that you assume about how HR technology as a marketplace works are wrong. The buyer the <laughs> buyer is different. The um, the um, the the department in the company is a cost center. It's not a profit center, and so all of the yeah. all of the arguments that you make about the value of a sale. Are different right. than they are if you're selling Salesforce or Autodesk or some other enterprise tool that that operates inside of an environment where if you can show an ROI, you can have the money. In this yeah, in this yeah, world, was... it's very difficult to show an ROI, and and so it takes a year to figure that out. Yeah, it was a funny experience because I'd come from Wall Street, like the first ten years of my life, I had really only talked to like C-level executives, like the lowest level person I interacted with was maybe a VP of finance. For them, like, you know, we we have one restructuring where every week we would decide whether we're going to sell, refinance, or keep, operate one of the power plants, right? And that meeting was like maybe nine minutes, you know, where the CEO is making that decision and you have this ROI deck laid out. It's pretty analytical, but it's like, you know, an executive summary, three pages really, and he makes a decision whether to like buy, sell, or refinance, you know, a $100 million asset, right? And this is, again, 30 minutes would be the longest meeting. So I would just think like this, this like Wall Street, like ROI deck and send it to people. And they were like, but wait, 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 how's it work? And like a lot more soft questions kind of. And, and I was like, all right, let me just like, change this entire deck to be more in story form and that's when things started uh i still always show an roi and i hold our team to an roi and i think that people really value that um and it helps them you know not everyone was taught how to make an roi and i think it it helps that we you know we want to make them look good in front of their cfo their CEO, you know executives so we help them do that but there's you know in recruiting there's more of like a personal narrative that needs to happen in the cell. So that was the learn. That was the learn for me. 
so we've run through our time. It's been a great conversation. Would you take a moment and reintroduce yourself and let people know how to get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. My name is Laura Bilizarian, CEO of Teamable. Uh, you can get me at Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at Teamable, T-E-A-M-A-B-L-E, uh, .com. Happy to connect uh, with anybody. Part of giving back to the community is, is one of our core values. Thanks so much, Laura. It's been a great conversation. You've been listening to HR Examiner Radio's Executive Conversations. We've been talking with Laura Blazarian, who is CEO and one of four founders of Teamable.com, a referral network piece. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you here next week. Bye-bye now.